Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. I want to thank Ryan and Heather and Fran and Reverend Dorsey for our mission moment. Um, Such an important reminder of of what we uh, are about and what we do. And uh, as Katie prayed in in her prayer, may we be the church that uh, acts beyond these walls. What we do within these walls is important, but it can't end there. We keep going um, and we see God's image in everyone we encounter um, all week long. So thank you to, to each of them for sharing just a bit about some of the ways that we live out this, our, core, our core value of responsive service. These values, uh, this is what we're talking about for the next two weeks after this. So um, I think one thing that Pastor, Pastor Evan and I uh, talked about was how grateful we are for these values, these values that as he mentioned last week, are values that members of our church came up with years ago when thinking about what are we actually doing and what are we actually about? How would we describe ourselves to someone who's never met us and how could we get some guideposts in in deciding what we do and how we make our decisions and how we interact with one another and with our greater community? And so last week, Pastor Evan challenged us to think about this first by thinking about what it is we value. And he gave this example of what you would grab uh, if your um, house was, was coming down in some way and your family's safe, everybody's safe, the pets are safe. What are those things you would grab? Um, and that was, a, I think, a great way to think about the urgency that comes with these values. What would we do when things get hard? What would we lean on? And, and I think that those, these values uh, are exactly that for us. But I want to give you another way to think about values and how we would uh, consider them both individually and communally. So um, I want you to, to uh, think about this example. What if there were researchers out there? I was just at a conference hanging out with the researchers, so that's where this is coming from. But the researchers are here and they're, they're aiming to learn more about you, right? These are anthropologists, people who study humans. Um, and what they do is they look for artifacts. You might think of artifacts as these ancient things. Um, we often think about artifacts of, uh, with the Egyptians and the things that we find and, and uh, try to guess what was their life like based off of these artifacts. Well, suppose we could do that with you. Someone who doesn't know you, it's all anonymous. They'll never learn who you are, but they gather these artifacts of your life. They might be able to look around your house or they might be able to see the things that you've purchased, take a look at your bank statements, your receipts, starting to get really nosy here, so they go through your phone. They get to um, even talk to people who know you. They see your correspondence and even get to interview them. Again, it's all anonymous, so, uh, and kind of sounds like an iPhone, but... um, They're they're able to interview people and ask them, what is it that this person is all about? And then they collect all of that, and they organize this data into themes. And they say, based on the evidence, what is this person's life about? If we were able to do that for each one of us, 
would the evidence suggest the values that we purport to uphold? Would the things that we aspire to be the things that actually guide us, the things that actually shape our lives in tangible ways? What would be the evidence of these values in our lives? The team at BCWC that put together our values tried to do just this. They tried to look for the evidence. They followed a similar line of questioning. What is it that we do that points to who we are? And not just in an aspirational sense. I'd like to be this kind of person. I would like to be very organized. But the evidence of my office would say that I'm not very organized. So not the aspirational value, but the true one, the one that actually shapes us in significant ways. And so Pastor Evan talked last week about our first core value, unbiased hospitality. Unbiased hospitality. Later, in the, in the next two weeks, we'll talk about our values of authentic community and Christ-centered living. But today, our focus, as you know, is responsive service. So let's talk about that. To better understand what we mean when we say responsive service, we turn to the Holy Scriptures. And today we'll focus on the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, not our main text, but a, a preliminary one, a bonus text, it says that the disciples were bickering. They were arguing. And man, the church has always loved to argue. And so they're bickering back and forth about something really important. No. They're arguing about something quite silly. Which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us is the best? Which one of us is getting it right? And Jesus interrupts, as Jesus loves to do, and we're always thankful for those interruptions. And Jesus said the kings and the Gentiles, they might try to make themselves more important than they are, or more important than other people. That's all an illusion. That's not what we're about. If you follow me, know that the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader must become the one who serves. Just look at me, said Jesus. I have come as the one who serves. So essential to who Jesus is describing himself to be, and therefore who he's describing who the church should be, is through the shared commitment to service. So if we're following Jesus, as we hope that we are doing, we're called to serve as Christ has served. The trouble is we tend to like being the greatest better. We tend to like being served. We like to go to the restaurant and talk about the great service that was there. We like to have time-saving devices, all the little technology things that, that serve us that help us, even now. And in some ways, these are really good things. I like these things. The, the, you can go and someone can gather your groceries for you and they put them in and you think, wow, how'd I ever do it before? Go and get my own groceries. It's ridiculous. <laughs> we like to be served. We like to be the greatest. We try to figure out how to be the greatest, just like Jesus' earliest followers. In our worst moments, if we're honest, we can argue about who is right Who's the real Christian? We're like these Christians, not like those Christians. Those ones aren't getting it right. We get to decide who belongs and who doesn't. 
who is worthy of help and love, and who has been disqualified of our goodwill due to their political affiliations, their past decisions, or their current hang-ups. Nothing that I want to do with them. I'm trying to be the greatest. Now, we could use different language than this, uh, and we could talk about being the greatest in other ways. This could show up by talking about our strategic plans, our paths to success, our streamlined processes, our follower counts, our hashtag goals, and the ways that we're aiming to live our best lives now. Don't you want to live your best life now? Time for good vibes only. We're going to manifest our dreams and climb the ladder toward our destiny, which is greatness. If that all sounds amazing to you, then I think you would be great friends with Jesus' bickering disciples, which means you should probably be prepared for an interruption by Jesus any day now. You see, Jesus' vision of human flourishing, of the good life, the true life, of eternal, abundant life, is kind of upside down compared to that language of greatness. So our misguided attempts at life philosophy don't always pan out when we're trying to follow Jesus. We learn about this earlier, also in the Gospel of Luke, and now we're getting to the real passage for today, so the other one was a bonus. Chapter 10, verse 25, there's this expert in the law, an expert in the law, and he stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? Love when he turns a question to a question. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to the expert in the law, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. So here Jesus responds to the people who were testing him, this expert who was testing him. There's another sermon in here about how to respond when people are testing you. Because every day, people are out here testing you. It's much easier to love people in theory than to love the person in front of you who's testing you today. But again, that's for another sermon. I think for now, it's enough to understand that Jesus says, if you want true and abundant life, love God, love your neighbors. That all checks out. But, as is so often the case, the expert starts looking for loopholes. Well, surely not everybody, right? Not them. Certainly not them. I can love this person, but I don't know. So he asks this question. The scripture goes on to say, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, this time not with a question, but with a story. And for many of us, it might be familiar he tells the story and says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and took off, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, 
he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, someone else who could help, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan, someone we didn't expect to be quite helpful, was traveling and came upon the man, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treated them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Jesus asks the expert, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. I hear him saying, like, the one who showed him mercy. He's a little upset about it. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now there's so much to say about this story. It's a beautiful story, and it's quite common uh, among churches to, to focus on for good reason. There's implications here because the Samaritan is someone who would have been an adversary for um, a Jewish audience. They were adversaries to one another, to say the least, There was a lot of bias there between them, and we talked about unbiased hospitality last week. So for the sake of today, when thinking about responsive service, I think that the following matters. Number one, it matters that Jesus was teaching his followers and even his opponents or people who were challenging him to see not only goodness in the people they despised, but to see the likeness of Jesus in those they would rather not give a passing glance. It also matters, secondly, that Jesus explains to the expert the path to eternal life, to abundant life, is love. Love of God, love of neighbor. And to do that, the role of the neighbor, according to Jesus, is the role of the one who serves even when it's inconvenient, even when it's costly, and even when we're serving someone we're convinced isn't worthy of that help. Despite all of that, if we can be moved by compassion as the Samaritan was, and the priest and Levite evidently weren't, then I think we're on our way. Now, maybe the priest and the Levite had excuses, right? Maybe they had a lot going on. Maybe they were distracted or scared. Who could blame them? No matter what, though, it's clear that they were not being the kinds of neighbors that Jesus was calling them to be, especially when you walk by someone who's half dead. I think about a time when I was... um, traveling 
learning to take the train in, in grad school. And Melissa, my wife, is a very confident traveler. And I'm from pretty rural Pennsylvania. I've never been on the train. And so I'm all kinds of confused. And my, my phone um, depleted. A very small problem at first. It was just a phone. It depleted. But we were supposed to meet in Center City, Philadelphia. And I couldn't find her. And I missed my train because I am a silly goose. And then... <laughs> Uh, my phone battery was depleted, and I didn't have my charger, see silly goose comment earlier, and then on top of that, I needed to find a way to contact her. I didn't know her number, so that was good, but then I had to talk to people, and I had to think, okay, how can I approach people in a way that would let them help me? And I couldn't. I just tried for an hour and an hour, and just, I think, scared off so many people, thinking that I was going to steal their phone. I said, okay, you hold the phone. I'll stay over here. I'll tell you the number. I was trying everything, bending over backwards just to try and get help. And that was just one small, inconvenient example. So many people need all kinds of help. And they're asking for the help. And people just walk by all the time. Jesus teaches us that to respond to the needs of our neighbor is central to what it means to follow Jesus. So let's return to this value of responsive service. How does this portion of today's scripture, because there's a part two, illustrate this responsive service? Well, in one sense, Jesus is telling this whole story to respond to a question of someone who had the intention of challenging him and lifting himself up. Jesus tells this whole story in hopes that it will serve the purpose of helping this expert in the law to become more loving of God and neighbor. I think we benefit from this example as we think about engaging with people whom we deem as self-interested or maybe even unnecessarily aiming to challenge us. Perhaps, though, more clearly than that, this portion of today's passage reveals to us that we're called to serve our neighbors in ways that respond to their pain, their suffering, more than our availability, our disposition, or our connectedness to them. Jesus didn't say in the story, and the Samaritan wasn't too busy anyway, or the Samaritan was feeling especially good that day, or the Samaritan had just had it paid forward to them. Or the Samaritan was on some kind of reality show that was testing whether or not they would be helpful to a neighbor in need. There were no community service hours, no benefits of looking nice on social media. In fact, there was presumably nothing to gain from this service, but lots to lose. There was a lot of risk in helping this individual. It was a dangerous road with someone who had been deemed dangerous by their community. Nonetheless, the Samaritan was moved with compassion to respond to someone in need. So, to find life that lasts, we love God, we love our neighbors, and we do that even when we'd rather not. We respond to their need with our words and our actions, and if any one of us is paying attention, if you were here this morning, you heard of great need that surrounds us in ways that we're helping out, in ways that we're responding to our neighbors in loving service. There are plenty of neighbors that need our help. 
But if we keep reading the Gospel of Luke just a little bit more, I think we can get an even deeper understanding of something we might have missed. This church is very responsive. You heard that already and is engaged in service. But I think if we're not careful, there's something else that could be missing. So let's pick up the passage again back in verse 38. Now this is after this story. Jesus is leaving the expert. They're headed somewhere else. They're on their way. And Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. I love this story. She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, You are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So where's the good news here? I think it's important that we kept reading for a few reasons. One, it helps us to avoid falling into this trap when we think about responsive service, that responsive service means we need to be busy, 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 all kinds of busy. Do everything. I'm going to sign up for that one and that one and that one and that one because I'm here to be like Jesus. I am a lot like Martha sometimes, especially when I'm feeling grumpy. I make myself all kinds of busy, And I try to save the world as if there wasn't someone who had already come to save. I think I can be the savior. But on top of that, when I start to get grumpy, I think I'm doing everything and everybody else is doing nothing. This all-encompassing, you can tell, it's very grumpy. But nonetheless, I'm so busy, I make myself dizzy, and then I look around and I think, I start to pray, because that's what we're supposed to do, right, when we're grumpy. And I say, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, but I, in this class exercise, am paying a lot of attention to the group project. I seem to be doing a lot of the work. If you could talk to my other group mates and maybe help certain ones of them, not you all, other people, and help them to see that they should be like me. And also, if you could tell them subtly, because I don't want them to know that I said that. All I'm saying is that Mary's over there taking a nap, telling stories while I'm getting things done for you. Martha, Martha, Zach, Zach, church, church. You are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary was the one sitting at Jesus' feet feet, and listening to what he was saying. Oops, I miss that part sometimes. I think I know. I'd like to withdraw my complaint against Mary. Now, I'm still working on this, but I think what I love about this value of our church of responsive service is it's not just about responding to the needs of others. 
Of course, that's there. It matters. It's important. We do serve as a response to those real needs around us, but we do so in a way that is grounded and astounded by what Jesus is doing and saying. Sometimes we make responsive service about us and how we feel and how um, we think it's moving the ball forward in significant ways, but we forget that all of that is out of a response to the love and person of Jesus Christ, of being in relationship with Jesus, of learning to pause and reflect and listen and not just go, go, go. I think it's a helpful caution. So we can remember that when we bring in items for act in faith or participate in relief work led by Heather and Unto, when we give to the world mission offering and when we work with Bridge of Hope, we do so not only as a response to our neighbors, but because Jesus is with us in that. Jesus is inviting us into relationship through this service before this service, after this service. And in fact, our worth isn't tied up in in what we do. What we do is a response to the one who is worthy. So we can focus on Jesus as we serve. Not distracting ourselves with even good things. And we love our neighbors who bear God's image, whether we recognize it or not. So why does this matter, that our service be responsive not just to others' needs, but also to the person of Jesus? Wouldn't that slow us down from the things that we're capable of doing? Couldn't we do more if we just stopped all this pausing and resting and sitting? Why can't the church be more efficient? Wouldn't that make us more effective? Well, to answer those questions, let me tell you a story. You might know this one. There were these researchers, again, in the 1970s from Princeton University who were trying to figure out who um, and why engages in helping someone in need. And one way that they did this is they went across the street to Princeton Seminary and they got some of the seminarians to participate in this research project. What the seminarians, all people who were aiming to be pastors, thought was happening was that they were going to preach a sermon on the good Samaritan. Oh, great. For the Lord, they're going to practice their skills to preach so that someday they'd be prepared to offer that sermon in a church. So they told them, okay, you're going to practice here and go across campus, and then you're going to give that sermon for your mentors, and then they'll evaluate you and score you and help you get better. But they added something else to the mix. They said in three different ways how much of a hurry that they were in. So for one group, they said, you're really late. They were actually expecting you a few minutes ago. Go, 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 go. They're waiting for you. For the second group, they said, you know, they're ready for you over there, so just, you know, head right over. And for the third group, they said, it'll be a few minutes before they're ready for you. You can start heading over, uh, but you'll probably have to wait there for a little bit. Maybe not too long, but go on and head over there now. As each student walked by, there was an actor who was playing someone in distress, visibly in distress, laying over, coughing, crying out for help, clear that they were in need. So of course, 
these nice pastors to be would be helpful to this person so clearly in need, especially because they were preparing to preach a sermon about helping someone in need on the side of the road. Not so much. Only 10% of the students who were in the high hurry category, you're running late, stopped to help. Only 10%. 45% of the students were in an immediate hurry. 45% of the students in an immediate hurry, or uh, the middle category, were helpful. And then the students who were in a low hurry, only 63% stopped to help. So one, we're not so good at helping sometimes, even when we think we are. And it doesn't matter all the time if we think that we are um, doing God's work. We can miss the point when we're in a hurry. We might think that this value of responsive service then means making ourselves busy. But that's not the goal. These seminarians were busy and they missed the point. So we respond to the needs of our neighbor as a response to the time that we spend with Jesus, the time that we allow ourselves to see Jesus in those in need. So here's my challenge to you. It's twofold for this week. Number one, consider the ways that you might respond to the needs of our neighbors through acts of service. You've heard several opportunities today, and they are important and you should consider them. Are you prepared to be moved by the Spirit, moved with compassion, as the Samaritan was for the individual on the side of the road? But here's the second challenge. Consider the ways in which you might be distracted by many things, like Martha, or the seminarians, or the bickering disciples. How might God be calling you to slow down as a response to sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his words so that you don't miss it. One opportunity, we'll continue thinking about that later this week. We have a, a guest speaker coming on Thursday as part of our Digging in Life group, Reverend Dr. Nate Stuckey. He is a farmer, a Mennonite farmer, and um, he uh, teaches a lot about Sabbath, about rest, about the ways our rest and our work are indeed both acts of responsive service. So together, we'll learn to follow Jesus through both our work and our rest, both of which are responsive service. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.